You may be seated. Why do you and why do I love Jesus? Why did Desmond T. Doss enter the army during World War II? His story is one of honor, of bravery, of commitment to his principles and his personal mission. Recently, Renee and I watched the movie Hacksaw Ridge. Yes, I was equally surprised that Renee wanted to watch a movie by the title Hacksaw Ridge. But this movie tells the story of Doss. He wanted to serve his country, and everyone else in his, in his town was joining up to serve in World War II, and so he enlisted in the army. And the problem was, though he wanted to serve his country and was willing to give his life in that service, he was a conscientious objector and was unwilling to take life. And so he enlisted in the army, and he actually served in the Battle of Okinawa as a combat medic. And this man, who was ridiculed for being a wimp, unwilling to pick up a rifle and take life in service to his country, is credited of, serving, of saving the lives of over 75 men in the battle of Okinawa. His personal mission was to enter the army and serve to save lives, not take them. I mean, it is a story worth telling. It's the type of story that we love to hear. And I think I can say with 100% accuracy that the men Doss saved loved him. Isn't it a principle that the saved love the Savior? In Mark chapter 11 and verse 11, we read this. And he, Jesus, entered Jerusalem. Why? It is fair to say that the entire of Jesus' public ministry, the three years he traveled about preaching and teaching and declaring that the kingdom of God had come, repent, boils down to this moment of Palm Sunday and all the events that would transpire that coming week. He came into Jerusalem. Why? We find three ways that the Palm Sunday account answers that question. And we find the, the, the reason Jesus came to Jerusalem and entered Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday being told to or revealed to us in the fact that he rode into Jerusalem on a sacred mount. He rode into Jerusalem on this colt of a donkey as the saving Messiah. 
And his mission as the saving Messiah was a sacrificial mission to give his life to save. And we can say that the storyline of Desmond T. Doss's life is that he entered the army to save Incredibly and infinitely more profound, the storyline of Palm Sunday is this. Jesus entered Jerusalem to save. Listen to the account as I read it for us in Mark's gospel, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 11. And before we do that, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come now to this account, my, my prayers for myself and for these dear folks gathered here that we would leave this place with more reasons to love you. Praying this in your name, amen. Hear now the word of God. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and the others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The word of God. A sacred mount. Verse 2. You will find a colt tied on which no one has ever said. I want to make several observations uh, about this very, very short request of Jesus to his disciples. First of all, we see evidence of Jesus' divine nature here. Jesus is, had been with his disciples. They're, they made their way from Bethpage and Bethany uh, to the Mount of Olives, and our Lord made this rather unusual re request of, of the disciples, he, he sent them into the village and told them that they would find a colt tied up. They were to untie it and bring it back to him. Jesus simply said this, you will find it. He had perfect knowledge of that colt and its location, of that colt being available. Jesus had perfect knowledge of the fact that they would be questioned about untying the colt. And actually gave them instructions on how to deal with that. May we never forget that when we look at Jesus, we are to see him as the God-man, fully God and fully man. Jesus 
even when he was dying on the cross, was in absolute, total control of human history. Secondly, Jesus is, is shown here as the ultimate steward. They were to bring this cult back, and Jesus said, if anyone stops you and basically says, what on earth are you doing untying that cult? Here's what you are to say, verse 3. The Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. Think about that. The sovereign king of creation, the one who owns everything, including that cult, Jesus could have claimed that cult and said, it's mine, I'll never send it back. But yet the text tells us the king of creation is borrowing this cult and is going to use it and is going to give it back. My oh my, right here in the Palm Sunday account is a very profound lesson about how we should be stewards of what has been lent to us by God. We should willingly use it and give it all back to him. That should be our posture as a steward. Why? Because it's his anyway. And third, this cult is specifically described as a cult that had never been sat on by anyone. Not a child, not a woman, not a man. We might even say it's something, it's a cult where nothing, even a, a bag had never been placed on it. And this fulfills the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. Bob read this earlier, but let me just read this verse again. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? But why was it so significant for Jesus to say, this particular donkey is one who has never been sat on by anyone, by anything. It has never bore a burden. It basically is an unused beast of burden. One of the first families that invited Renee and Jessica and me over to their house for lunch after worship way back in 1989 when we first came to Little Rock set me down at my place and I noticed that I had a goblet that was unique. Everybody else just had simple glass, glasses to drink their beverages out of. And I was curious, why did I have this goblet? And everybody else just had common glasses. I mean, I knew I was special, but not that special. And in the husband's family, there was a tradition that there was a special pastor's goblet that was reserved only for him, kind of a sacred pastor's goblet. And I used only that one time that sacred pastor's goblet. And it seemed like the tea was sweeter and more flavorful out of that goblet. Reserved only for this use. 
And this little mount, this cult of a donkey, was sacred because it was only for God's use to accomplish his purposes. Now, the Bible has numerous examples of something being set aside only for God's use, something that has not been spoiled or altered or used or tainted by human beings. And think, let me just give you a few of these examples. You remember when Joshua led the, the people of Israel across the Jordan after 40 years of wilderness wanderings, and they were instructed by God to gather uncut stones, just stones that you might just find out in the wild. And they were to build an altar there at Mount Ebal to commemorate what God had done in bringing them across the Jordan, uncut stones, not used or abused by human beings, pristine stones for God's use only. Also, remember that in Numbers 19, too, the people of Israel were instructed to bring a red heifer without defect where a yoke had never been placed on it. Basically, an unused red heifer that had never borne a yoke or pulled a load. A heifer for God's use and for his purposes only. Think of Mary, the mother of Jesus, a virgin, untouched by man for God's use only. Think of Jesus. Friday, Good Friday service, I hope you come. It's one of the most profound services of the year for me. The whole service is pointed to the sufferings of Christ. Being taken down from the cross and quickly put in a tomb. But the tomb was a fresh tomb. A freshly cut tomb that had never housed a dead body. A tomb for God's use and purposes only. Something, these things reserved for God and for his purposes. And this cult had never been set on by a human being. Never even had a load placed upon it. Was sacred to be used for the purposes of God. And as Jesus rode on that colt into Jerusalem, it pointed to a sacred mount for a sacred purpose. And what was that purpose? We see it in our second point today that underscores the, this fact that the purpose of God for Jesus entering Jerusalem was to enter as the saving Messiah. And we see this in verses 9 and 10. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. One of the real treats for Renee and me on our trip to Israel uh, many years ago 
is to be on the Mount of Olives and to look out to the city of Jerusalem, one of the prettiest views in all the world to me, one of my favorite vistas. And then we came down the Mount of Olives heading to Jerusalem, but we stopped off at the, at the Garden of Gethsemane with its ancient olive trees. And near the Garden of Gethsemane is a modern-day Jewish cemetery. And I noticed that on the graves, if most, if not all of these graves, were little piles of rocks. And so I asked our guide, who is an Arab Christian, Luis, I said, Luis, what, what is the deal with these graves having these piles of rocks? I mean, there are a lot of rocks in, <laughs> in that area, so are they just trying to cultivate, trying to get rid of the rocks? No, he said. Those rocks are a sign of mourning of the Jewish people, that the temple is still in ruins, has not been rebuilt, and the one to bring that about, Messiah, is yet to come. And I remember the, just the, the, the profound thought I had, or it, maybe it wasn't a profound thought, but it was profound to me. <laughs> I would never claim to have profound thoughts. But I do have thoughts that really impress me. And I was greatly impressed standing there, the very place, maybe even the exact GPS coordinate of where one of Jesus' foot, or at least the donkey's hoof that Jesus was on, might, might have stepped as I was standing there, thinking over 2,000 years ago, Messiah came into Jerusalem, and you didn't see him. Didn't acknowledge him then for the most Well, the crowd did, but many didn't acknowledge him. And today, the Jewish people, with their rocks on the tombs, still yearning for Messiah to come. Do not acknowledge Jesus. And what about you, dear friends? Are you even refusing now to acknowledge Jesus as the true and saving Messiah? Now, Jesus was identified as this Messiah even in the account that we've been reading, how first the disciples placed their garments on that colt, those in the crowd placed their garments and these leafy branches from the field, as the text says, likely olive branches, hopefully olive branches because we use them today. <laughs> I hope that's true to Scripture. There, and Jesus sitting on the donkey processed into Jerusalem. All of that pointed to Jesus' royal dignity. He he was, he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Second, the crowd shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As I said earlier, Psalm 118 is, is a messianic psalm. It's also one of the Hallel psalms, which are the, the psalms, psalms uh, 113 through 118, which are sung at Passover. And in this psalm, we see both both supplication and adoration, supplication, Hosanna to the Messiah, to the King, and then adoration, save us. And one of the ways we might understand the word Hosanna that the crowd shouted is simply by two words, save, pray. And in reality, what the crowd was saying is that Jesus, 
We adore you as king. Save us. Redeem us. And that is exactly what Jesus intended to do. But it's interesting that as Jesus rode in and the crowd, there's, there's no doubt this, this Hosanna phrase from Psalm 100, it is from Psalm 118. Did they re- really grip what they were saying? Because here Jesus is riding in. And why was the crowd there to begin with? They were pilgrims coming to celebrate Passover. And what is Passover but a commemoration of the great, great deliverance and exodus event by God from bondage in Egypt? Exodus 13. And so in Jesus' day, the crowd was there because they were celebrating Passover. They were celebrating the redeeming work of God. Freedom from bondage. But there was a problem. Israel was in bondage yet again. They were under the yoke of Rome. And they were yearning for Messiah to come and deliver them again from bondage and restore them as a great nation, a great military power, a great political power, a great economic power like the days of David, like the days of Solomon. But did they really understand Jesus and shouting Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of Lord, ascribing to him the status Messiah. What was Jesus riding? A colt, a donkey that was a burden a royal might ride to show forth peace, but it was anything but a war horse that a mighty king like David might ride to force peace and to restore the nation to its military and political powers. Do they really understand the Old Testament scriptures that do not point to a great king like David who would restore Israel as a nation and as a mighty world power? But listen to this from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1. On that day there shall be a fountain, Messiah, Open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. You see, Messiah's role in the scriptures is to bring about a spiritual restoration to the people of God. And then listen to Isaiah 53, 4 through 5, the suffering servant passage. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53, 4 through 5. When we look at these scriptures, these are just two that foretell of Messiah as one who will come to bring peace, as one who will come to restore God's people spiritually, 
we see Jesus fulfilling these two and every one that we find that foretells of Messiah. He is the saving Messiah who redeems elect sinners from bondage to sin and Satan and death. In Exodus, we find God doing a deliverance from bondage to Egypt and bringing Israel out to freedom. How much more does Jesus bring about an ultimate exodus, freeing us from bondage to sin and death and Satan, never to plague us again? Do you see the connection between Jesus and Moses? Deliverance from Egypt and the greater deliverance from sin, death, and Satan. The work of Messiah, a saving Messiah. And Jesus entered Jerusalem to fulfill that purpose of God. Do we embrace him as Messiah? The only one in human history who has the ability to fulfill this purpose of God. To free God's people from bondage to sin, death, and Satan. Today you may be like the Jews, still putting little rocks up to commemorate yearning for Messiah to come because he hasn't come. Do you see Jesus is Messiah? He has come. Today you may be one who's not even given a thought to the fact that you are in bondage and in need of a Savior. Jesus has come. He is the Savior. Maybe today you're like me. I, I, I need to be reminded over and over again why Jesus entered Jerusalem that I might love him more. And what was this mission? We see this mission in the third point. And as we look to the end of the account, verse 11, we see the end of verse 10, Hosanna in the highest was declared. And then the first part of verse 11, and he entered Jerusalem. I've just been thinking about this for some time now. And that little phrase, and he entered Jerusalem, can, I, I just can't get it out of my head. That's profound. What God has said. And that phrase, Hosanna in the highest heaven, really points to the fact that, that this Messiah is a gift from the Godhead. The one who is in the highest heaven. The one who dwells in heaven has gifted humanity with Messiah. Messiah who came down and journeyed for three years and came to the seminal moment at Palm Sunday in the week here in Jerusalem. Riding on a mount as the saving Messiah. What was his mission behind all of those Shouts of praise and adoration, there was much hostility. Three times in Mark's gospel, Jesus foretells of his rejection by the Jews and subsequent sufferings and death by the hands of the Jewish leaders. And even now, as, as Jesus and his disciples had came to Bethany and Bethphage to in John 11, we see the reason why to, to raise, for Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead and restore him to physical life. The disciples and Jesus learned of a plot by the chief priest and 
the ruling council and the Pharisees a plot to kill Jesus. Read John 11 for that. And so his, his, his disciples said, Jesus, lay low, man. Just fade into the backdrop. Don't make any ways. People are out to get you. And Jesus did not listen to one bit of that. He proceeded into Jerusalem with shouts of Hosanna. And then after he got into Jerusalem, what did he do? He went to the temple and really made a scene by overturning the money changers table and, and rebuking the abuses of the temple. In other words, Jesus did anything but lay low. Everybody knew that Jesus was in Jerusalem, especially the chief priests, the Pharisees, and the ruling council, the Sanhedrin. Dr. Hendrickson, in his commentary on Mark, writes this, Never shall we be able to understand Palm Sunday unless we perceive that, viewed from the aspect of many of the shouters, it was a tragedy. Why was it a tragedy? Because Jesus' mission that the disciples did not understand, or if they understood it, they wouldn't embrace it, was to enter Jerusalem to give his life to save the lives of the people of God. And I just marvel over the processional of Palm Sunday, all the events that took place over the next six days, all culminating in one of the cruelest and most painful deaths humanity has ever seen. A painful death of Jesus on a cross. A tragedy by human standards. But the plan of God, where God even used the hostility of the chief priest, the ruling council, and the Pharisees, and the Roman authorities, and the Roman soldiers used it all as his tool for Jesus to be on that cross and die the death we should die to save God's people. Our Lord rode the sacred mount to fulfill the purpose of God as Messiah. And he died on that cross as the Passover lamb who was slain under the blood the people that believe were delivered and found safety do you see the Palm Sunday event Messiah the Passover event the cross it's all the same story he entered Jerusalem as the saving Messiah to sacrifice his own life 
to save God's people, to save you and me. Das, Desmond T. Das, entered the army to save lives, and that he did. And he has the, the status in the history of military history of our country being the only American to ever receive the Medal of Honor without firing a shot. It is a story worth telling. It is a story we love to hear. And I have no doubt that the men Doss saved loved him. It is just the way it is. The saved love the Savior, right? If men who are saved by another mere man love him for saving them, how much more should sinners love the true Messiah? For saving them. You see, Jesus entered Jerusalem as the saving Messiah to sacrifice his own life as the Passover lamb, to shed his blood that we might find life and salvation in the blood. He saved us. And what should be our response? How should we? Respond to Jesus. The saved love the Savior. Das saved 75. Jesus has saved the people of God throughout all human history. Every single person every single saint that will be gathered around the throne in heaven For eternity are those whom Jesus saved. I would suggest to you that his work as Savior is infinite and boundless. Count the sands on the seashore. Count the stars in the sky. You can't do it, nor can we put a value on the expanse and the extent and the depth and the breadth of the saving work and saving love of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who entered Jerusalem for that very purpose. And our response, and it's the response, the only response that he asks of us, is a response of love. Love that looks like faith. Love that looks like gratitude. Love that looks like devotion. Love that looks like praise, adoration. Love that looks like honor to him. Love that looks like obedience. May we think deeply about this. He entered Jerusalem to save you and me. May we love him. And may we love him more.
Let us pray. Father in heaven, we give you our praise and honor. We come to you in faith. We acknowledge your sacrifice. We acknowledge your love. Oh, God, give us the grace we need that we may love you more and more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.